let's just honour them and uh, give them a round of applause as they as they go. Thank you, Wilson. Thank you so much for that great great job. It's um. It's good to be with you this morning. Hope you're all doing well. It's beautiful to worship the Lord together. It's nice that the rain has stopped for us, even though we're inside. Um, but maybe you'll get out on it later on. Um, it's good to have you guys from Mount Sandal with us. You're very, very welcome. Had the privilege of speaking up there over the last year. And it's great to have um, 40 or so of you here today. I know that you've had a great weekend. And um, God's been moving in many lives, so that's brilliant. And um, I've been in enough youth weekends to know that by the time it gets to Sunday morning, the eyes start to kind of, you know, droop a little bit. So um, don't worry if you nod off there, that's totally fine. I'll uh, promise I won't point you out. <laughs> Only joke. Um, so we want to just kind of kick on in this theme of following Jesus in all of life. We sense that the Spirit is working amongst us at the moment and challenging us to a new level of preparation uh, of heart and focusing us in our hearts to um, uh, get a clear sense and a clear focus on almost how God wants to create a new wineskin within us for the new wine that he wants to pour out. We want to be intentional about our journey towards Christ-likeness and becoming like him and uh, any revival that we talk about at the moment, which we believe God wants us to and to prepare for, is what we fa- what we sense is a revival of depth and not a revival of hype that we'd steward through these vessels, the presence of God that would be molded by our Maker into containers that are ready to carry His presence more and more. Yeah, so that's why we're putting so much focus on discipleship and the practices that we're putting in place and. We're centering our thoughts on this scripture. Just going to read it again because it's um, good, it's repetitive in the right way. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, the message version. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. And he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he has restored. Uh, normal translation says something like the, that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. The Son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. You want to know what it is, not just to be a good Christian, but to be a good human? Look at Jesus. He is the essence of humanity. When we become more Christian, we actually become more human, what humanity was supposed to be in the first place. And Christ is the prototype for humanity. He is the firstborn. He is the one that we are called to emulate, to be like, to be captivated by in such a way that we want to be changed and transformed. Look, we see the original and the intended shape for our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name, he set them a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. We want to realize that the original and intended shape of our lives the purpose of your life, no matter what age you are, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter where you've been, actually the original shape of your life is found in Christ. And he wants to work in you to produce his character within us. And in order to do that, we want to follow the way Jesus lived, because Jesus lived a certain way. And uh, I like this from um, Dallas Willard. He said, we cannot adopt his form of life without engaging in his disciplines, right? If Jesus in his humanity had certain disciplines and practices in his life, even though he was the son of God, then how much more we? Maybe even more than he did, and surely adding 
maybe even more than he did, and surely adding others demanded by a much more troubled condition, right? That is like a bit of an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> by our much more troubled condition, right? We are totally not Jesus. He had certain practices and disciplines in his life, and we feel like he's calling us to follow him if we want to be like him. And we have def- defined six of those practices in these terms above. These, these, these six, there may be more, but we really want to teach very clearly over this series what we feel it means to follow Jesus in all of life in a way that you can easily remember. Hopefully, you can memorize these words. You can teach them to your kids, and you can get really practical about them, okay? You can get really, really practical about them. We can order and orientate our lives around these particular practices. Jesus, um, and we're into, sorry, if we're I wanted just to say, we're not into these practices in a kind of legalistic way. We're not into these practices because we're into the practices. We're into these practices because we're into Jesus. Yeah. We love Jesus, and so we pray. People say, because you lead the 24-7 prayer movement here in Ireland, you must be really into prayer. And I says, well, I'm not really because I'm not even that good at it. But I'm really into Jesus. I really love Jesus. And he prayed, and I want to talk to him. So I pray. Yeah? And so when we're captivated by Jesus, then these practices will become something that are joy-filled rather than feeling legalistic and rules. Okay, And the first one of those is prayer and worship. And Chris started this last week and reminded us that Jesus was somebody, even though he was a son of God, he probably prayed more than anybody ever prayed. He was in constant communion with the Father. He walked in a continual kind of conversation with his Father. Tim Keller summarizes this really well. He's, sorry, Tim Keller summarizes this beautifully. That's not supposed to be in the quote, right? But anyway, that's what happens when you copy and paste from your Word document into your keynote. Anyway, right? The next part is what I meant to put in, right? Jesus taught his disciples to pray, heal people with prayers, denounced the corruption of temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer, insisted that some demons could only be cast out through prayer, He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears. And sometimes all night, the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. And he was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died, and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. (laughs) Jesus lived a life of constant communion and conversation with his father and if he did how much more should we who um and so what what we have proposed is a simple way that you can think about prayer is the acronym prayer because christians love a good acronym right okay who who is old enough to remember the acts acronym for prayer do you remember that one anyone ever taught that one yeah like ask confess what was t Thanks, thanks, thanks. Yes, what was it? Supplication. Well, we think this one's better, okay? That, that was good, but we think this one's better and probably more biblical. There we have it in English, and as Chris did last week in Lithuanian as well for our friends. Pause, rejoice, ask, yield, okay? And actually, in all, with all um, seriousness, I actually do think this one is better because I think it actually gets the flow of the Lord's Prayer much better and helps us understand how this Lord's Prayer kind of sits upon this. This kind of provides a bit of a skeleton for the flow of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer has been said by millions and millions of people for thousands of years. 
We in charismatic circles are sometimes in danger of seeing it as just like a traditional kind of liturgy, but it's a Lord's Prayer in that, that he gave for the disciples to pray. And um, as we read through it, uh, <clears throat> we can notice what it includes. And in the flow of it, we realize that the Lord's Prayer is actually a springboard that launches us into new depths of relationship with God. It's short, it's simple, it's honest to the point, and we would do well to have a little rhythm in our lives. And 24-7, once the movement started for like 20 years, most of the, most of the guys in it have set their alarms at 12 o'clock midday every day. And, uh, and just when their alarm goes off, they just say the Lord's Prayer. It's a great way to center yourself. And the more you say it, and the more you meditate on it, and the more you think about the flow of it, the more you were actually shaped and formed. Problem is, some of us just like like I when I went to school, we had to say the Lord's Prayer every day at break time, and it becomes in our heads this monotonous thing. Where actually, what we really need to pray is the Holy Spirit brings that to life because it's the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray, and uh, it's revolutionary in light of the prayers that were prayed in the days that Jesus lived, because they were kind of long-winded things that were prayed to impress other people, and Jesus said, "Cut through all that stuff and let's get to the point," right? Let's get to the point of what we're about, who you are, and the things that are going on in your lives. And so last week, Chris talked to us about pause. When Jesus said, when you pray, this idea of um, centering ourselves, slowing ourselves, turning our attention to the God whose whose attention is always on us, right? A centering of our hearts and souls before the Lord. The psalmist said this, return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. Pause. Slow. Center. Yeah? In the midst of a crazy world. In the midst of busy lives. Pause leads us, as Chris talked about, to rejoice. Hallowed be your name. We lift up our eyes to Jesus. We look at the one who is the essence of reality. And we are changed and transformed as we are captivated by his beauty. And as we learned in our worshiping series, as we worship the Lord, we're led into oneness with Him. We're led into a place of deep encounter and revelation. We get our eyes in Him and above our own situations and circumstances. Which leads us on to the third one, A, which is ask. Okay, so we have pause, slow, center, turn aside, turn your attention to the God whose attention is always on you. And rejoice. Yeah? Rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. Right? In the midst of turbulence, in the midst of all that's going on there, rejoice. Ask. From that place, we, we come and we ask God. We're invited to ask. And we're invited to ask in two different ways, I think. Right? We're invited to ask, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we're invited to ask for our daily bread for our needs and concerns. So let me just try and help us think a little bit about A and Y this morning. And I just want to say again, in order for us, I think, to get the genius of the Lord's Prayer, it's really important for us to kind of get an understanding of the flow. I think there's real intention in the way the Lord structured this prayer. It's not just the words we're praying, but as what we're what is happening to us as we pray it, we're being changed and transformed. The way we are praying it is actually forming us, if we let it, into the kind of children that look like Jesus. And Jesus is using the prayer 
to train us into true sonship and daughterhood, focusing us on him first and foremost, to ask for his purposes to come before we kind of get to all our own stuff. And it's not like our own requests aren't important to Jesus. They're really, really important to him. Our petitions, our anxieties, God wants us to come to them like any good father would want his child to come to him with need and concern and anxiety. We are welcomed into his arms and into his heart and asked by God or invited by God to bring those to him. But Jesus is kind of parenting us, if that's the best way to put it, in this particular prayer, I think, because he knows what's best for us. And he knows that we have the propensity, even in our prayers, to become self-obsessed. He knows that even in our prayers, we have the, the, the kind of bent towards being the victim all the time, and woe is me, and I need this, and why did this happen to me, God? And the reality is the Bible is full of that, so it's not like God doesn't allow us and invite us and give him permission to do that. That's a whole other kind of talk this morning about lament and things like that, and that's important. But what I think the Lord is doing in this prayer, he is trying, us to, he's trying to get us to get our eyes on him. And Chris talked about this a bit last week. In order that our petitions and concerns come from a place of seeing him and not just like navel-gazing into our own lives. In this prayer, Jesus is calling us out of our own story into his big story because our stories only make sense in his big story. The Lord's Prayer is framed in this way and it flows in this way so that we might grow and it might form us away from being self-centered kids to becoming mature sons and daughters. I think it's in that order and it flows like this for a purpose. In saying that, let me just reiterate what, I, what, I, what it's important to hear this morning. Asking involves bringing our daily concerns. It doesn't really matter how big or how small. Obviously, we want to exercise wisdom in that. But the Lord, I believe, is interested in our car parking spaces and our ingrown big toenail and all of those kind of things. I think he is interested in them. If we don't get one and we react like spoiled children, then that shows us more about ourselves and our own Christian maturity than it does him and his goodness. Yeah, But we do want to practice generosity and thankfulness and gratefulness. And so I think God wants us to bring it all before him. He wants us, like at a childlike level, to bring our cares and concerns. The Scriptures talk in other places of casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. And so like any good father, he wants us to come to him with the concerns of our day. He wants us to bring those before him in the morning when we're driving the car and things are worrying us and we're anxious. And he wants us to lift them up prayerfully. He doesn't want us to stew in a place of anxiety, but to bring them to him. A side note that I would say, oh, it's interesting that we're asked to bring our, uh, we're asked, we're invited to ask Jesus for, uh, to meet our needs in terms of our daily Bread. Bread's kind of basic, isn't it? It's not necessarily all the superficial things we want, but it's the basic requirements for living. Because Jesus doesn't want us to be in a place of striving and competing with our neighbors <laughs> or with the sin sort of systems of the day that want us just to acquire more. Jesus just wants us to trust us, trust him, sorry, for, his, for our daily bread for our daily needs, so that we can then focus on the real priorities of the kingdom. Daily bread. 
ask Jesus for your daily bread, for your daily concerns. But as we probe, so, so I just want to say that. I want, I want us to go away today and no one. That whatever's going on in our life, our Father invites us to ask him for help, to bring our concerns before him. But what I also want us to think about today is as we progress in prayer, as we mature in prayer, we start to realize that the things that we think are really, really important in light of seeing Jesus often start to fade a little bit. Or at least we start to realize that his presence more than the thing that we want is more of what we need. And what happens, to hap- what happens slowly but surely is our requests become less and less the shopping list of things that we need. And our main ask becomes God's main ask or God's main desires. Something in us starts to change. As we rejoice in the Lord, as we become one with his heart, it's like his heart becomes our heart. It's like we start to join in with God's own longings. They become our longings. His longings become our longings. We kind of fuse in our hearts together. And the things that are deep on his heart start to feel their way into us. And we start to express them. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see what I'm trying to say here this morning? There's like a, there's like a flow and an order to it that I think forms us into the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be. So pause, rejoice. Prayer is intimacy, right? In that first kind of section, our Father, our kind of Daddy, our Papa, our Abba God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is your name. There's a, as an intimacy. But then that intimacy starts to lead to involvement, okay? So, yeah, yeah. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now we're starting to get involved with God's desire for the world. Um, I've put it like this. Intimacy leads to involvement, right? And how do we get involved with God? We do that through incarnation. That means like we do it through our own hands and feet. We become the answers to our own prayers. But we also do it through intercession. That's four eyes all together. He did well to get them all, didn't he? I just pat myself in the back when I was doing that, but... You're not as impressed. Anyway, right? Intimacy leads to involvement through what? Through incarnation, through becoming the answers to our own prayers often. You know, some of, the, some of those prayers that we're praying, God, do this to this person in, in, our, in my work, or would you help me with this situation? And God's like, well, I've kind of already given you the resources. Just you be the answer to that prayer. Go and do it. But then primarily, I think the way that we partner with God as an intercession is in prayer, which is counterintuitive to us because we're all action people at times, right? And God does want us to be action-oriented in terms of how we incarnate His beautiful love to the world around us. But He has stuff to teach us all, I think, in intercession and in prayer. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to get turned into this overly like intense, kind of weird like person that lives in the clouds. We can intercede in our daily lives for the things that God calls us to. John Wesley put it like this, prayer is where the action is. The more and more I have journeyed in prayer, the more I realize this is so true. It is not this boring, stuffy, religious, I can't really pray like everybody else kind of thing. It's actually where the heart of all the action is because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood because principalities and powers. And so prayer, we get to declare stuff. We get to confess stuff. We get to say stuff that actually shapes and changes atmospheres. 
You'll know already by some of the quotes that I've put up over the last few weeks that I am a massive fan of C.S. Lewis. Really helped me in my faith and thinking through. But he said something that I kind of disagree with, which is kind of a bit funny coming from me. And he's C.S. Lewis, right? But he said prayer doesn't change. Um, prayer doesn't change things, really. It changes us. And I'm like, well, yes to that. Because it does change us. It does form us, like I've just said. But it does change things. It does change. You only have to look at the Bible to see it changes atmospheres. We can see a shaping and a changing of the atmospheres that we live in as we declare stuff in the authority of the name of Jesus and through what he's done on the cross. We can shape and change things through prayer. Now, ultimately, which I'll come to in a moment, it's God's will, it's God's word, it's God's way, it's God's ways, and we don't always understand them. And that doesn't mean that things always turn out the way we want them to. But do not be deceived. Our prayers change things. And even if you're not seeing the change, our prayers change things. Prayer is where the action is. I love this from Walter Wink. This is for you, Matt, if you like him. When we pray, we're not sending a letter to the celestial white house where it is sorted among piles of others. We are engaged rather, I love this, in an act of co-creation. We get to create with God in prayer in which one little sector of the universe rises up and becomes translucent, incandescent, a vibratory center of power that radiates the power of the universe. In prayer, we get to co-create with Jesus. We get to pray with him about the things that are on his heart. It's not just, oh, we'll post a wee letter and see what God does and let us know when you answer that, Lord. It's no, we get to partner with him in acts of new creation through and in his name. We come to commune with God. We worship him for who he is. Our hearts align with his lordship. And all of a sudden, we're praying big, exciting, wonderful prayers that are going to be tricky and difficult at times because it's not necessarily going to be easy. And Jesus reminded us of that. Chris reminded us last week that Jesus dialogued with the Father. He was always doing what the Father was, was at or the, what the Father was doing. And so Jesus communed with him for that very reason, so he could co-create, if you like, with the Father, because he'd been doing that from the beginning. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it's going to involve what we call contending prayer, or persevering prayer. In Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, so we read about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, and we read about it in Luke. In Luke, he quickly follows it up with this passage. So right after he does the Lord's Prayer, and I um, can't remember what chapter. Okay, then he, he tells us this, straight after it. Suppose you have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, <laughs> lend me three loaves of bread or pint of milk or whatever you might need for your breakfast in the morning, right? A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet, get this, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. We're not really good at shameless audacity in the church. We're far too nice. Yeah? We're far too nice sometimes. We're, we're far too 
for want of a better phrase, refer to just nice middle-class Christians, right? And we just need a bit of shameless audacity to ask for some stuff with boldness and with courage and with faith and say, come on, God. Come on, God. This is not your will. You don't want the world. All those stats that Wilson just shared, you don't want this to be the case. God, we want to we knock and keep on knocking. We want to ask and keep on asking. We want to seek and keep on seeking. Jesus wanted to encourage us. There's some things that just don't need prayed for. There's some things that need prayed through. You keep knocking every single day. You persevere. You don't give up. You're saying, Jesus, this is not your will. This is not your way. I don't think this is what you want, Jesus, so I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on knocking because of your shameless audacity. This wasn't even, this was referencing just a human being. How much more with God when we pray with faith and we mature in our prayers, then we learn how to persevere. Sometimes when we're not seeing breakthrough, we just have to do what good old Martin Luther said, you put your fists together and pray. Put your fists together and pray. Sometimes, some of you have got stuff on work and on business, and you don't have the solutions. And this is what you need to do. You need to stop working for a bit. You need to you don't have a mic, so you don't need to put it down, right? You need to put down your pen. You need to sit at your desk. You need to put your fists together. Not that that's necessarily mean this, but metaphorically, you put your fists together and you call on God. And you keep calling on God. And you cry out to God. And you say, God, I need you to break through here. God is inviting us to ask. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. And sometimes we don't see the answers we like, but Jesus said himself, some things only come out by prayer and fasting. This is in other translations called the, um, uh, the importune prayer, which is kind of like an old English word for persistence. But um, uh, what have I done there? I've got, yeah. The Greek word for this shameless audacity word, which some translations call persistence, other translations call importune, it says this, the Greek word implies an element of impudent insistence, rising to the point of shamelessness, which the English word importunity fails to express, thus weakening the argument of the parable, which is that if by shameless insistence a favor may be won from one unwilling and ungracious, Still more surely will God answer the earnest prayer of his people, right? So Jesus has given us this parable to say, here's a guy who's not really willing to get up in the middle of the night to help this guy, and he's pretty ungracious, right? But he gets up because of his shameless audacity. How much more with the father who loves his children? We want to become a praying, shameless, audacious people asking for the good things of the kingdom to break into our world. That's why this Wednesday night, when we come together, we cry out to Jesus. That's why corporate prayer and things of God are so important to the bread and butter of this church's existence, health, and vibrancy. It's like, it's just the bread and butter of wanting to be an effective church. We just don't rest. Isaiah chapter 62, you have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And look, give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. 
the prayers of God people. I just want to encourage you today. I know some of you are doing this every single day for wayward sons and daughters. I know some of you are doing this for situations and circumstances for people that you love. And I want to encourage you. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 5, when we see the lamb slain and the one who was worthy to open the scroll, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And then it says, each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Every single one, every single one is captured in heaven. Every single groan, every single heartfelt prayer, every little prayer that you think in your head isn't really making any difference, every one of those is heard before the throne of God and captured in bowls and go up before the Father like incense. And I suppose the old preachers used to say that at some point in God's timing, and there's mystery to all of that, at some point that bowl will be turned over. That bowl will be turned over, and you will see the breakthroughs that you're longing for. And so I want to encourage you to keep on praying, to keep on knocking, because you have a Father in heaven that hears everyone. And allow your heart in these days, allow your heart to become increasingly one with God so you can pray His will on earth, not just your own. And so practically that might mean, here's a few practical things, it might mean praying a list. Lists aren't wrong. In fact, lists are good. My granny had one, and every single one of us 26 grandchildren were on it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that every single one was in the kingdom. She prayed for all the lorries on the roads every single day. She prayed for all the people in that, 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 that worked for my granda, you know. She just prayed her lists. And I wouldn't tell you just to pray lists. But lists are good. I try to have a few things I pray for specifically every single day that I just don't want to not stop praying for. So I try to pray in the Spirit. I come and worship God first. I try to like fix my eyes on Him. And anything in His heart for that day, I want to be able to pray. But I want to pray for my mom and dad on a Monday. I want to pray for my sister Grace and her husband and their kids on a Tuesday. And Wendy on a Wednesday and Norma on a Thursday and their family. And I want to pray for church on a Monday. I want to pray for our church leadership on a Tuesday. I want to pray for Ireland on a Wednesday. Yeah, you know, I just, I just want certain things that if I just say, I'll see how it goes, <laughs> right? I'll not get those things covered. And uh, I don't necessarily sit down on a chair and pray for all those things specifically, but at least when I start to memorize the things I'm praying for every day when I'm in the car, when I'm out for a walk, I can just become conscious of those things that I want to cover in prayer every day and try to do that. There's your man. Hasn't been around for a while. <laughs> feel like we should all say hi. Um, <laughs> um, it also means, and it might mean, on certain things that you're looking for breakthrough in, sometimes just text a few friends and say, could we get in a room and could we like be shamelessly audacious here? Yeah, it might just mean gathering a few people that you know are actually going to pray about something specific and like go after it in prayer. And it might mean disciplining yourself. There might be one or two things that you're really looking to see breakthrough in, and you might just need to go, you know what, on a Wednesday at lunchtime, I'm going to fast and pray for that specific thing, and that's just going to be a rhythm. Just, just get practical. Order your life in such a way that you can ask and keep on asking. And, um, and then finally, just a few moments on the last one. But the, kind of, the flow is important again, because what I find is, as I'm praying for things, I really want to see breakthrough in, and as I really want to see God... Uh, 
God break through on certain situations, and I'm praying for His will. The thing about it is we often don't know all of God's will. His thoughts are high above our thoughts. So we, we have an idea of what God's will is, of course, through the Bible. But for whatever reason, in certain situations and circumstances, we don't see what we think God's perfect will is coming to pass in this world always the way we want it, right? So those of us who have lost people that we wanted to be healed, that's a kind of obvious example, but in loads of other ways as well. And so what I have found is as much as I think God wants me to ask, I want to ask. Because here's, here's, I don't want to think that something could have came because of my prayers. And I don't want to regret not having done everything that I could have done in prayer for that breakthrough to have come. To have, to have come. Now, in saying that, it's really important that we don't get into like a guilt kind of narrative with that, which is easy for us to do in Northern Ireland. But at its purest level, I, I want to pray, I want to ask and seek and knock with everything I've got so I know that I've done everything I can. But then ultimately I have to come to the place where I say, God, I don't know all of your thoughts because they're way above me. And uh, you're in this world, but you're outside of this world and you're beyond it. And so I submit to your will. And so as we ask, then we yield. We yield to God. <clears throat> Perfect submission, we sung this morning. Perfect submission. All is at rest. And so in the morning, I want to start my mornings with, come Holy Spirit. I want to be aware of your movements in my life today. I want to pause and yield to you. And I want to finish my days with yielding to the Lord. And the house goes quiet. I want to give you my day. I want to offer up my conversations and the actions of this day. I want to repent, God, of what I could have done better. I want to yield to your ways. I want to repent where I've lacked compassion. And I ask you to change me more into your likeness. I yield to you today. And it's almost like we go, we knock the door, our fists are clenched, we're praying, and then ultimately we have to open our fists back up again. And we yield. We yield to a good father who loves us and knows us. Walter Brueggemann said, we pray because our life comes from God and we yield it back in prayer. Prayer is the great antidote to the illusion that we are self-made. It's like the medicine that heals us from thinking that we have all this under control. And prayer is the place where we yield our hearts back to God in two ways as I finish. We allow his life to be formed in us by saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You have to yield when you say sorry. Marriage has taught us that, isn't it? So it's like, sorry, yeah? It's like, oh, I don't want to say sorry, but... Sorry, not Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you can't say sorry with the but. You said sorry, but then you put but in the end. You can't say sorry. All that, yeah? But you have to yield when you say sorry. As Christians, we need to rekindle the art of confession. I'm sorry, Jesus. I try to say sorry to Jesus most nights. Not because I think he's waiting there to whack me. Just because I want to yield to his good pleasure and to his good ways in my life. And I also have to yield to him in protection from the evil one. 
deliver me from evil. And so there's this place where we need to do warfare. We need to, like, like I've said, ask for some stuff. And we need to pray against the tactics of the enemy. There is a place for that. And we should be engaged in that regularly. But ultimately, God knows what he's doing. Ultimately, I have to yield to his protection for my life. And so I pray things like Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That no arrow will come near me by day and no terror by night. Ultimately, I just submit, I read that psalm, and I yield, deliver me from evil. And so as we do that, his life is formed in us. We become more mature sons and daughters. And finally, we, we yield to his will when we relinquish control. So we know that our prayers can change atmospheres. Hopefully, we've got that. Hopefully, you realize how passionate I am about this, how passionate I am for us as a church to realize that when we come together on a... So the way I measure a good prayer meeting is usually along the lines of, did we get some work done there tonight? And sometimes God wants to rest in us, but even in that, we're getting work done because God is doing something. I don't want to come and just pray a nice little kind of prayers, right? I want to shamelessly, audaciously call out to God because I think he hears us and he's affected and stuff happens when we pray. But I also want to say, as I, as I finish this morning, and life has taught me enough that there's certain things that I just don't know the answers all for, and I want to yield to his good ways and his good works, and I want to relinquish control. Because with all that I've just said with passion, there is a danger that Alan Emerson, as passionate as he is about the Lord, as passionate as he is about prayer, and as passionate as he is about changing atmospheres, he can get to the place where he thinks it kind of depends on him. And ultimately, I want to relinquish control to the God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. And Jesus is the ultimate model when he's in Gethsemane. And he's sweating great drops of blood. And his soul is troubled onto the point of death. Imagine being so troubled that you thought you were just going to die by the sheer weight of the anxiety. In, in those moments, he prays that prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. I'll post this on Facebook or maybe send it round. This is a brilliant prayer of relinquishment by Richard Foster. This would be a great prayer to pray at night before you go to bed as you give the Lord your day. Today, O Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, and as you will. I place into your love and care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with the care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to be in control, my craving for status and my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on this earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. If you pray that prayer once, it'll tickle yours and it'll be good. If you pray it every day, you will be transformed. You will be transformed. You will be changed. And if you let it seep into your heart. And so it's 12 o'clock and I want to finish. I'm going to basically just 
I'm going to email you these all around, right? This is the, the practical. If you want to grow in your prayer life, have a place. When I say have a place, like have a chair. 70, like, so the, the survey showed us that loads of people are praying, right? Chris talked about this last week. But what it also showed us, 70% of people don't have a place. They have an actual place that they say, that's where I meet with God. I want to encourage you, get a place. Get a little bit of oil, right? Anoint it, set it apart, and let that be your place. It can be, if your house is bonkers like mine, right? It might be like a little corner in McDonald's in the morning before every, it, you know, it might be getting up that little bit more early. It might be, I just need to get out of this house and sit in the car for half an hour before we go into work or whatever. Have a place. Set it apart and go and sit in it and just allow the Lord to meet with you. Be free in silence, right? I know that's going to be difficult for some of you, but just like learn to love silence. Normalize boredom, right? Very practical. Sometimes it's not angels ascending and descending, right? You just need to get a bit more content with being, it's all right, it's all right. I'm twitching here because I can't do something. Just like, that's okay. Just normalize boredom, right? Find a rhythm. Play with a rhythm. Find rhythms that work for you, but push yourself a little bit, right? Embrace the truth that prayer is not something we master, but an act that forms us. Pray the words of others who have gone before us. Pray the Psalms. the best thing I've ever done probably for my prayer life. Pray in the Psalms. I'm going to say pray the Psalms. I don't go into a whole rant afterwards. You might think I do, but I don't. I just like read the words out loud, right? I just read them out loud and they become my prayers. One or two a day. Oh, the Lord's Prayer. And trust that God is always waiting for you with open arms to yield to him and his good purposes, right? I'll send them around, okay, if that helps you a little bit. I just want to finish with being practical as well. Let's be a people of prayer like Jesus was, all right? So God, we just thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you've been with us. Thank you for what we've heard. Uh, thank you how we've worshipped you, remembered you, Jesus, in your sacrifice. Lord, make us a people of prayer. Help us to be people that pause, that rejoice, that ask, and that ultimately yield to you and your good purposes in our lives for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stick around, have some tea and coffee with us. Um, there's no rush. We would um, love to pray with you if there are some issues that you